0: Welcome to today's um, podcast from Rethink Energy with um, uh, our guest today, because he hasn't been here all week, Harry Morgan, who's uh, reporting live from COP26. Give us a feel for uh, what the uh, event's like, Harry.
1: Yeah, and I just found a not so quiet corner, uh, as you can probably tell. in the in the main which is yeah pretty busy at the moment it's not uh, it's all quite down a bit since the world leaders summit a few days ago uh, and everything's become a little bit more easy to attend but yeah it's been a it's been a mixed conference so far i think there's been there's been sort of a big blitz of announcements which really have had quite a lot of a lot of shortcomings when you sort of dive into them a bit especially when you look at things like uh, the deforestation pledge and uh, most especially the uh, the coal announcement there's a lot of countries that have uh, falling short of becoming on the list there in terms of uh, pledging when they're going to phase out coal. So it's um, it's been a hectic few days and in many ways quite disappointing.
0: I couldn't understand on uh, your piece, is Indonesia one of those who've promised to phase out coal?
1: Yes, so uh, Indonesia it, they're a little bit on the fence. Um, I think they have committed to it now under uh, the concern that as one of these developing countries which will have to phase out coal in the 2040s. There's been quite a lot of uh, debate around uh, where countries sit within this Obviously, a lot of the European countries they are phasing out coal in the uh, by 2030 or, or in the 2030s. Poland, on the other hand, is very much claiming itself as a developing country, so it's now saying the 2040. So, while the announcement is great in the sense that, yeah, it's, it's great to see countries promising they're going to phase out coal, in the time moment they're promising to do it, market forces will probably get rid of it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and I think that's there's not been that many new countries that have joined the pledge when you look at what the UK is saying. In fact, a lot of the countries that the UK claim or seem to be claiming to have pulled into this pledge was actually done through through by the Power and Pass Coal Alliance. Uh, I think seven of the new countries went through that. So in terms of what the UK has actually done itself, uh, it's it's not that significant.
0: And and if they're going to get off coal, they're going to get off coal for cement and steel making as
1: well? No, I think this is just for the power sector. So um, it's very, very, Again, it's one of these, these these things that we're seeing at COP26 where it's all the small print. Like when you look at the deforestation pledge, for example, they're saying they're only they're going to end illegal deforestation by 2030. So it really it depends how countries like Brazil frame legal versus illegal deforestation in the country.
0: Well, they um, but they, they claim it's all accidental at the moment, so uh, that's nonsense.
1: Yes, exactly. So I think while it's very easy to get swept away in all of these promises, it seems like. The um, The UN have gone, gone in wanting this big list of demands, and while they're sort of to tick the boxes, they're all they're all sort of half-baked pledges, um, and there's a lot of sort of small print that really makes them not that ambitious.
0: The truth is, deforestation is possibly the, um, the, the the biggest contributor to global warming because it's, it's instead of being the lungs of the world, it's becoming the uh, fire pit of the world. And it's, you know, positive carbon as a result. So, I mean, it is quite an important subject for global warming, not for renewables, perhaps, but um, certainly for global warming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a big focus here on, on nature and on deforestation, on the oceans as well. Uh, energy, I'd say, it's actually taken a- I wouldn't say it's taken a minor role um, but the role of energy at this conference seems to be i'd say understated um, well, well
0: perhaps they think it's under control
1: yeah i think it's something that there's a much clearer roadmap for and there's much cleaner uh, much more clear legislation in place to to implement that and i think in a certain sense the technology is already superior to fossil fuel technology so i think there's an overwhelming consensus that yeah the market's going to move that way on its own. One of the big things we're looking for actually over the next few days and I know there's there's supposed to be another update uh, at 7pm this evening is with regard to Article 6 of the Paris Agreement which uh, for those who as I went uh, wasn't aware isn't, who aren't aware of what that means that that's basically the the uh, one part of the Paris Agreement that hasn't been agreed upon yet um, and it's very related to carbon markets so what is really being thrown around is this idea of a global minimum price for carbon which is one of the things that we going into this conference said would be a real benchmark for success. And the current sticking points at the moment with with regards to that are where the finance from these carbon markets will go, whether or not it will go into a just just transition fund uh, in terms of climate finance, or whether or not it will be used to compensate fossil fuel companies for their inevitable demand. That would be pointless
0: if you take it from the fossil fuel companies in one hand and give it back to them. That that seems pointless.
1: Yes, exactly. So I think there's, um, I mean, there's a lot of debate Going on, um, and I think we're, we're very much fingers crossed for an announcement uh, early next week, so that we can have it written up for the Kennedy for the Thursday.
0: So the event now seems to be right. All the political leaders are gone. Now everyone brings their wares to market. There's press conferences. There's product announcements. Um, there's initiatives, projects.
1: Yes, definitely. And one of the one of the biggest announcements we saw yesterday um, was, a t- was from the green hydrogen catapult. So um, previously they've been claiming, that they've been forecasting and looking for 25 gigawatts of hydrogen by 2025, 2026, Uh, and now they've pumped that up to 45 gigawatts. And what they're saying with regards to that is that the reduction in the cost of electrolysis through that economies of scale will actually already make that cheaper than grey hydrogen, blue hydrogen. So they're really falling in line with what we've been saying at reading energy all along in that green hydrogen simply is going to be cost competitive within three, four years, rather than in the sort of 10, 15 years that um, many within the industry, especially the fossil fuel industry are saying?
0: I think it's all, you know, the cat is out of the bag. I think, you know, when we first came to this, everyone was saying hydrogen may be 10 years away. Suddenly, hydrogen's going to be cheaper than any other course. All the money will flow into hydrogen. And as it does, the prices will fall down. Competition will drive it even faster than they are forecasting. And the thing will just Take off like a rocket, like
1: solar. Absolutely, there's barely been a conversation at this conference where hydrogen or ammonia haven't been mentioned. Wind and solar starting to take a bit of a back seat. I think they're just sort of a given now, uh, but hydrogen and ammonia are very much taking the front seat. Um, and I think, yeah, I think this is is very promising in terms of the hydrogen sector.
0: Okay, uh, any uh, any events uh, t- today, tomorrow that uh, you think are going to be really significant that are coming up that you're looking forward to?
1: Um, well, today is sort of the the youth day of COP26, so it's very much about youth engagement and youth participation. Um, I actually went to a talk last night, which very highlighted, uh, which very much highlighted how uh, frustrated the sort of youth movement feel in with COP26 and how they feel like their engagement could have been much more inclusive. But generally today, the events I'm, I'm well, in about 10 minutes, I'm attending one with regard to green hydrogen and offshore wind uh, in the EE pavilion, and I'm just hoping hoping for more. Um, more promising signs there, really. I think the general consensus is of that offshore wind is is going to be behind onshore wind and solar in terms of producing green hyd- uh, low cost green hydrogen. But in terms of where it will be used, it's the markets that probably can afford to be paying that premium for for green hydrogen. So places like the UK, places like Japan, so places yeah, that are
0: being stiffed by the gas price right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think it, it again, it's a no brainer for these countries and for the countries that can produce low cost green hydrogen is very much needed so a lot of these emerging markets which are looking for this just transition away from coal.
0: And and that's an observation I've made in the past but um, when AT&T brought Unix to to market they'd leached it into the university market so that every graduate coming out, every young person uh, knew the Unix operating system. As a result it revolutionised the whole uh, IT world and half the cost of doing uh, calculations on a computer and it sounds like you know the youth will enter this world with the assumption that hydrogen's the, the way forward and there's not even a question
1: yeah it's definitely entered the mainstream and i think even if you look at where we were this time a year ago two i mean two years ago we were much talking everything energy about being some of the first people to be reporting on green hydrogen properly now yeah it's it's the center of pretty much every discussion
0: Unfortunately, you can't rest on your laurels. The fact that we were first to, to, to mention it, uh, we don't get any credit for it anymore because now everyone's mentioning it. So we have to do something else first. <laughs> hey, H- Harry, it's Simon here. Is, is, are there any signs of greenwashing?
1: Greenwashing, uh, yeah, everywhere you look. Um, I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you're hearing anyone talking about carbon capture or anyone talking about how extensive the pledges that have already been made are, what, uh, we're hearing a lot of things about youth washing today so bringing young people to these conferences just as a, a sort of token uh, of, the, of showing that you've included them but in terms of greenwashing it's, I think the fact that there's been such a focus on coal and I mean no one's talking about gas and phasing out gas I think that in itself is a, is a form of greenwashing
0: Again it's it's the economics come first um, and, and the politicians come last um, it's always going to be that way
1: Yeah I think Everyone here is so, um, it's a bit of an echo chamber. I think everyone is gradually sort of coming around to the idea that what's been announced by the UN and, and, by, and by COP26 is is, is is a good thing, and I think the more people that convince themselves that it's good, it, sort of, it really does spread around the conference. I mean, I find, I find myself at times thinking, oh, this isn't that bad. And There's been this big focus on uh, the IEA saying that, oh, if promises to follow through with, Uh, we're now not going to be hitting 2.7 degrees Celsius warming, we're going to be hitting 1.8 degrees Celsius warming, which obviously isn't 1.5, it's much closer but what we've got to remember is that no steps have really been announced to indicate how that's going to be reached. Uh, At the moment it's just hot air. Uh,
0: It's just policy uh, promises um, that, you know, it's it's unpoliceable. I mean, if you don't police your own backyard and the media don't hold you to it, and the voters don't hold you to it, it, it becomes unpoliceable.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, it, it's going to be something that's very important now is put pressure on these politicians to actually show how they're reaching this and very specifically how they're going to be reaching their net zero. And to be fair from the, uh, to the UK, they have actually released a fairly comprehensive roadmap recently of how they're planning to do that. Uh, there obviously is, a, is still a lot of uh, room for flexibility. Um, and I mean, I mean, it's a stupid roadmap, but
0: at least they have one.
1: Yes. And I think that's, that's the, I think get a roadmap in place and then take take on board the criticisms that you get from, from companies like us, I guess. Well when,
0: um, no, well, when carbon capture just fails to work, or when nuclear won't build out in time, or cost too much, you just change, just tweak it, just keep tweaking it and it'll become a good plan eventually.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually one of the benefits of, uh, of nuclear and carbon capture is that the lead time on these projects is so, so long, that if you know that it's not going to work, you're going to know so far ahead of schedule that you'll be able to build a wind for a wind uh, a wind farm in time at the same scale. So, um, I, th- I mean, that's all you can really hope is that the rising on the wall early enough that changes are made.
0: All right, we better let you go back to the conference. I mean, I, I'm sure you'll have lots of new stories for us next week on, um, you know, product announcements because you know they come on the, the, the tail of this, uh, and I'm sure that uh, some of them will be uh, actually innovative, and some of them will just be big PR stunts.
1: Yeah, definitely going to be a combination.
0: Okay. All right, brilliant. Thanks for um, okay, yeah. t- taking the time out, Harry. Yeah, thanks. Um. Cheers. Cheers. I was going to say, I, I, and Therese, um, we haven't heard from you.
2: What, what's been going on in uh, in your week? Well, um, I wrote an article on uh, the Biden administration's efforts to pass these big spending bills, and they're probably the next thing we should talk about because it's it's a bit related to COP26. It's a bit unfortunate that uh, he didn't win as many seats in the House and the uh, senators he wanted to last year. So you know, he he might be doing a good job with the conference but back at home both of these trillion dollar spending bills are still uh sort of circulating through the house and the senate and senator Manchin is still not to give the go ahead i, I
0: think this guy's hmm. this senator mansion needs to be completely reviled i mean hmm. he, we already know that he gets five hundred thousand dollars a year from a coal uh a practice that, that his family owns um he should recuse himself from any vote at, at the very least and um, he shouldn't be out there taking a three point five trillion budget down to one point seven five mm. trillion and down again and down again and still withdrawing his consent. Um mm. he needs to be bullied into shape or they need to go back to the voters and say, We can't
2: do this with this idiot uh at the helm fire him. Well the problem is though it's it's west he's in West Virginia and that's a very Republican state um and I, I think it yeah. votes more to for the Trump. point.
0: is a very coal-heavy state. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. So, yeah. so basically, I, I I don't feel too optimistic about trying to get a different Democrat in there. It's basically it's not a fifty-fifty Senate. It's like a fifty Republicans, forty-nine Democrats, and Mansion, <laughs> whatever he is. A couple of Republicans who joined the Democratic Party. Mm. Yeah, I mean
0: it's, it's it is. It is annoying. But again, it's as I keep saying, when coal collapses and his business, his family business goes out of business because you can't trade coal if there's no coal being burnt. Then then eventually everybody will get the idea and nobody and and coal won't
2: be able to stand in the way of policy. But that's kind of a chicken in the egg. Like by the time coal is too weak to defend itself, it, well, it's already weakened a lot. At that point, you've already won, or, or or is it is it? It's already declining quite significantly, though, isn't it? If
0: you think five hundred and fifty-five billion, which is what their their um most of that one point seven five trillion, some of it will go into renewables. It's yeah. still a massive amount of money.
2: Yeah, it's five. It is five hundred and fifty-five that's going to the renewable side. Okay, so if that's if that's passed or anything like it is passed
0: in the end, it's still the biggest spend America has ever put to. The truth is this, when the beast wakes up and says, well, hold hold on, China wants to own this market and it is the market for the future and we've been sleepwalking, let's get out of here and start designing stuff that's world-beating, the Americans are great at investing. They're best in the world at bringing money to bear on the problem. And once they do that, they'll drag a load more money behind it. And once they do that, they'll suck in all the uh, smart people on the planet to go work in America and design renewables that are in advance of the rest of the world. I mean, that, it, that will take five years. But once, once that kind of slumbering beast awake, awakens, then all the investment in the world will just suck after it and it will just go mental.
2: So even if they passed something that was smaller than the 1.75 trillion, or uh, and with the yeah. 500 billion, it would still be—I mean, that's still a huge amount. I think that's to be spent over the course of a decade. So it's—it's it's like 60 billion a year if you include the other, uh, the, the the lesser bill that already got passed through the Senate, but not the House, I think it was. Yeah, but, yeah, the bipartisan
0: infrastructure bill.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, of which, you know,
0: the General Accounting Office. It's the only organisation that, that looks at the spending being in the right place. You can say, oh, we're going to spend this on uh, infrastructure. And part of that infrastructure happens to be EV charging points. Yeah. And so you can spend it on renewables as well. And and so that, that, that kind of um, detail can be lost by the government in power. Not lost, but, you know, I mean, it's still there available to be scrutinised, but but controlled by the government in power and as long as the democrats stay in power that's where the money will go the the nightmare scenario is that they get um a kind of literally a hundred parliament by uh, congress um losing five or six seats to um or 10 or 12 and and swinging the balance in uh Uh, Congress and then and then a couple of Senate seats and you end up uh, with the Democrats unable to govern properly for the next uh, for the next two to three years, which is quite Uh, a
2: common event in in America, I think.
0: Oh, people just Mm change their mind. They're just sick of the incumbent because they, they make you know we got a load of promises. We couldn't be bothered to vote. This person got in and they're rubbish. Let's get rid of them. I mean, that's that's the um, I think you recognize that from any country in the world that people think that of their politicians because politicians mostly
2: feed at the trough. Yeah, so I think I think they probably have. I think the Biden administration has one year to pass these this kind of big spending bill. And after that, it's just you just have the regulators and the presidency and that kind of thing and the Democrat states like California. Yeah, and you can
0: also do things with, um,
2: sorry, my my brain's gone, Uh, uh, executive orders. Yeah, yeah. But
0: but they can be reversed by the next government, unlike a a bill, a Congress bill.
2: But the advantage there, perhaps, is that it's easier for the Democrats to do all these regulatory changes and not have them undone, because the people in the regulatory agencies are probably, in general, more democratic in their attitudes oh that's a, mm, I think no, I'm not so sure about that some are some aren't i mean uh, and remember not, that you the the Trump appointed of course, but yeah no the, the,
0: those those senior political appointees are, are mostly gone or nearly all gone um and I think you're right. I think it's difficult for an American to hear, but the types of uh high paid senior Employees within the civil service function in America do tend to be Democrats, but they they wouldn't like you saying it because they want to pretend that they're impartial.